It's now time uh, in the show when we get to connect with leaders in the community, find out a little bit more about who they are, what they do, and how they feel about the current state of the city. Nadia Laddock is the co-founder and CEO of Marlowe, a Canadian menstrual health brand that has created the first ever lubricated tampon for smoother and more comfortable insertion. Beyond the product, the team is taking a community-driven approach to reduce the stigma around periods through education and conversations. Nadia is a member of the G20 Young Entrepreneur Alliance, where she works on international entrepreneurship policy and on Startup Canada's Women Advocacy Network, where she speaks with government leaders to advocate for women entrepreneurs. Oh, welcome, Nadia. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you are one busy woman. My goodness, there is a lot on your plate. Thank you for making time for us. No, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to tell a little bit more about Marlo. Yeah, so a couple weeks ago on the show, we had talked about you know this new study that I believe was conducted by Plan uh, Canada, and it found that one in four people say they experience period poverty in Canada, meaning they can't afford menstrual products and have to choose between food or, or menstrual products. Why is this still happening in this day and age in a country like Canada? It's mind boggling to me right? that this is still happening. And there was actually just recently a federal regulation that came out that said that all federally regulated workplaces have to provide menstrual products. And this was such a huge, huge advocacy win for us because similar to toilet paper, this is a necessity product. And in public spaces, you never get caught without toilet paper. Why are people still getting caught without menstrual products? And so I think we're going in the right direction. The government is starting to recognize this, but it needs to continue to improve so that that one in four number is zero. Yeah. And there's still such a stigma. I think this same study found that, you know, for many uh, people who menstruate, um, that even talking to others about it is there's still a stigma to it. They still hide or they have to call in sick uh, to, to work, which, again, just boggles my mind that this is still an issue in this day and age. You have committed your work to breaking down some of those stereotypes and stigma. What, what was the kind of impetus for you, Nadia, where you were like, this is the thing? that I need to focus on and, and just lend my voice to. It actually started in our last year of university. So my co-founders and I were doing a entrepreneurship course. And I remember our professors told us to find a problem that we're passionate about solving. And we didn't really realize that that was what entrepreneurship was about. We thought you had to have some crazy invention or some crazy idea, but it really stems from finding that problem. And at the time of the course, one of our co-founders was on her period that week. And she started talking to us about how she's always found tampons uncomfortable and that she couldn't use them and that it would limit her from doing the the things she loved to do. She was a swimmer and felt that she would have to pause on life when on her period. She had gone to the doctor to see if there's anything she could do about it. And the doctor actually told her to spit on her tampon oh. to make it easier. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> and we couldn't believe that there wasn't a better solution out there. On top of that, all the stigma you talked about as well. It's something that happens to 50% of the population for one week every month for 39 years. Wow. And we're still so afraid to talk about it. So it really was something we became passionate about solving and making it the problem we're focused on. And so that was kind of the impetus of Marlowe. Uh, but what I understand is that you entered into the world of consulting um, and then kind of have made this your your main focus, your full-time job. Tell me about just the journey of making this your full-time focus after being in the world of consulting. 
It was definitely a very scary moment. I remember coming home and both my parents parents immigrated to Canada. And so all they ever wanted for me was a stable full-time corporate job. And so when I came home and said, well, by the way, I'm leaving that stable corporate job for to work on this tampon startup, you could imagine my dad's reaction and how surprised he was. But now they've become some of my biggest supporters. And I think so young in my career, I've had so many incredible learning opportunities, the opportunity to meet incredible mentors and other founders. So although it was scary at first, I can never imagine going back. I absolutely love being in the startup ecosystem and actually getting to make an impact every single day. Now, for some, and I will say for myself, I mean, I I started a charity 10 years ago and, uh, and, you know, from nothing. But when I hear a startup, uh, I'm always amazed by people, by entrepreneurs, because I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur, but maybe, maybe I am because I started a charity. But I always just think it's so overwhelming and so scary. Um, and there's a lot of work involved. <laughs> and for some that can be like, you know, what? I'll just work for the man for the, for the rest of my life. Tell me about jumping into that world, especially as a young woman, a woman of color. Um, some of the challenges that you have endured, that you've had to face, that you've had to navigate. Um, and, and how did you do that? Definitely. I think one would be being an entrepreneur is so ambiguous. There's no playbook on what you have to do. And, you know, in consulting, you have a manager who has a manager who has a president. There's so many levels of people who can check your work, who can tell you if something went wrong. Whereas as an entrepreneur, I'm the only one who has to be able to catch those mistakes. And so you end up making a lot of mistakes along the way, but that's kind of the beauty of entrepreneurship. You have to get good at being adaptable, at recognizing when you have those mistakes and quickly learning from them and iterating and collecting customer feedback in order to improve. So I think definitely navigating through the ambiguity. Another one would also be, we were trying to go through Health Canada approval because we had to get our tampons approved Mm -hmm. during COVID. And so you can imagine Health Canada was very busy, understandably, but things were taking so long to get approved. We didn't have a science background. We were working with the research lab. And so just navigating through spaces that maybe you're not as familiar with and trying to find mentors who can help you and recognizing where your strengths and weaknesses are so that you do bring on that help and not being afraid to ask for help when you need it. What drives you in advocating uh, specifically for women? You know, as I was reading your bio, that's something that's really dear to your heart is uh, just, you know, including and expanding that space for for young women as well in the entrepreneurial world. Uh, Why is that important to you? For me, I didn't even realize that entrepreneurship could be a viable career path. I think coming from parents who immigrated, they just wanted, like I said, that stable corporate job. And so being able to show people that, no, this is a viable career path. You can make a huge impact every single day. You can learn so much about so many different areas of business. I think I just want to show people that they're capable and that they shouldn't be afraid to make those uncomfortable leaps into something because you can end up doing something that's so rewarding and that impacts so many people's lives every single day. Yeah, but I mean, but why be an advocate for that? You know, like what I'm reading is that, you know, I mean, there's so many accolades that you have uh, garnered too, Nadia. I mean, you've been voted part of the top 30 under 30. Uh, you're speaking to, you know, people in legislature. You're you're advocating. Um, there's one thing to just be focused on what you're doing and just do that well. But there's an advocacy heartbeat that I see here that you're mm-hmm. very passionate about. Why? 
I think just also the amount of funding that women entrepreneurs get was something that was really bothering me. We had to raise funding to build our product and there is no funding that is going towards women. About 2% of all venture capital was actually going towards women entrepreneurs. And so that's what kind of initially got me into the advocacy. Why is that? Why is only 2% going to female entrepreneurs? I don't know. I think honestly, because a lot of times the problems that we're solving are things that the male investors maybe don't necessarily mm. experience themselves. Right. So for us, every time we go pitch to a male investor, they said, well, is this really a problem? Is this something that we need to be talking about? And so they don't necessarily understand the problems that we're trying to solve. And so that's what kind of initially got me into advocacy was trying to advocate for more funding for women's health companies. And eventually it led into broader advocacy for entrepreneurship and supporting youth and finding curriculum that they can learn about in schools that they understand entrepreneurship and just more broadly getting involved in advocacy. Tell us a little bit more about this uh, entrepreneur alliance that you're part of Nadia? Yes. So it's actually representative. Um, there's representatives from each of the G20 countries and we gather once a year. There's a lot of work that happens before that as well, but we gather once a year at a summit. So last year the summit was in Germany and we talk about different policies that we're trying to advocate for. So it can be things like more funding for youth entrepreneurs. It can be things like evaluating the educational curriculum that's taught across high schools and trying to incorporate more entrepreneurship programming. And then we have a few representatives from the Alliance that actually talk to the G20 leaders at the at their summit and talk about they present the policies we're trying to advocate for. And they hold the G20 leaders accountable to trying to make some of these decisions and incorporating them. So it usually happens right before the G20 general summit, mm -hmm. so that we can then go and present all of our ideas to them. That's incredible. I, I, I love it. Um, what is it like being uh, an entrepreneur in Toronto right now? There is a lot of support for entrepreneurs in Toronto. Actually, in a couple weeks, there's a big event called Collision, a big tech and startup conference that's happening. And I can see that there's a lot of ecosystem support around entrepreneurs and small businesses. A lot of the big companies have grants. Um, you know, you can win grants from Visa, Canada Post, a lot of the major banks. So they're really trying to support entrepreneurs. And there's people working on some pretty incredible things here in the city. What are what are your thoughts about the mayoral race right now and uh, some of the uh, campaign platforms that you've heard? Uh, anything impress you at the moment from what you're hearing? Um, I think I definitely have to do even more research um, prior to the election. I've been trying to look out to see if anyone's been mentioning small businesses and entrepreneurs. So I'll definitely have to do a bit more research before the, the elections. What are some of the issues? I mean, obviously, small businesses would be a, a, a big concern for you. But, you know, as you're sitting around chatting with your friends, what are some of the key issues as a resident of Toronto that you are concerned about and as a young person as well? I think definitely mental health, um, mm. not even just specific to Toronto, but generally. And as an entrepreneur, you face a lot of challenges, but I know everyone is facing a lot of challenges post-pandemic and a lot of the things that we've had to go through. So I think definitely looking out to see mental health um, as, as an idea sustainability it's something we're passionate about at Marlowe, but something that in general we need to be focused on climate and sustainability and the environment so definitely we'll be looking out around that as well yeah i mean both really important issues i think mental health is one that um i would say has gotten a lot more support over the years we're talking about mental mm -hmm. health 
a lot more uh we're more open about it and yet much like the the menstrual conversation we we're just having there's still so much stigma right which just boggles mm-hmm. my mind that we still kind of navigate both of those worlds as well and i mean this week how did you fare with with the smoke as you talk about climate change and sustainability uh how are you dealing with the smoke this week it's crazy to see. I think this is definitely a warning sign for a lot of people that, you know, if they didn't believe that things were happening, yeah. that this is actually happening and they need to be careful of it. Um, I know at Marlowe, it's a big priority for us. All of our products are 100% organic. They're made from compostable wrappers. So definitely trying to prioritize that. But I think for our team, it was a sign that how can we improve it even more? And are there even more steps we can be taking towards sustainability? Maybe we can be doing a reusable applicator. Um, maybe we can be looking at the specific more in depth of our supply chain and how we can switch some of our partners. So it definitely was a call for us to look even deeper into our sustainability practices. And as you're in this world of startups, are you seeing more of a leaning towards sustainable products? Because, you know, I have a 16 year old and a 10 year old. And uh, when I, you know, I'm just listening to conversations and when they come home from school, uh, climate change is always a big thing. And it's not like they're, I mean, you know, they're not sitting there with like, uh, you know, glasses and reading encyclopedias about climate change. But when they, when you're ta- when they're talking about things that are passionate or they're passionate about, uh, passionate about climate change always comes to the surface. It's always a thing that they start talking about. Are you seeing that with the groups that you're in? I'm thinking the G20, uh, um, young entrepreneur alliance, but I'm also thinking about the startups that you, uh, you know, and, and the entrepreneurs that you talk to. Sustainability seems and, and climate change just seem to be the foremost of thought for many young people right now. Definitely. I'm seeing a huge uptick in the different types of um, startups focused on sustainability and the government especially is looking to fund startups that are tackling that type of an area within sustainability. So everything from energy to reusable takeout containers and how we can make that more reliable, um, more sustainable skincare, beauty products across all industries, we're seeing a lot of focus on it. And I think younger consumers are looking for that. They're willing to pay more if the brand is have has values that align with their values. So not only sustainability, but diversity and inclusion. A lot of younger consumers look for brands that actually truly support diversity and inclusion um, and just have that purpose. It's no longer enough to just have a cool product. You actually need to have an entire purpose behind your brand that younger consumers will look for and want to see what you're doing in terms of your community impact. Yeah. And and they will scrutinize it. They will make sure that it's not just (laughs) a face, you know, like you're saying, uh, you know, that you're, you know, you're passionate about DE&I and yet there's no sort of uh, factual backing for that. They're going to they're going to scrutinize those products. Uh, We only have a minute left, Nadia. Advice that you would give a young person who wants to enter the world of, you know, uh, become an entrepreneur, wants to start off their own business. Uh, What advice do you give young people and that you would continue to give? I would say don't be afraid to get started. I know we were very nervous jumping into entrepreneurship. We didn't know what it was going to be like, but now being in it, it's so rewarding. Um, And people think you have to start by having the product fully developed, but you don't. You can start by just interviewing customers, trying to find that problem that you're passionate about solving. Um, You know, you can do hard things. There's been a lot of times where we felt like giving up, where we thought we couldn't keep going. But I think reminding ourselves that you can do hard things. You can, if your supply chain isn't working, if your product isn't working, 
find ways to pivot and keep going through it. So I would say find that problem you're passionate about and remember that you can do hard things. I love that. Find the problem you're passionate about. And that's what you did. That's what you did with Marlo. You found a problem you were passionate about and you filled that gap. Thank you so much, Nadia, for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Nadia Ladek. She is the founder and CEO at Marlowe, uh, which is a Canadian menstrual health brand that has created the first ever lubricated tampon. She's also a member of the G20 Young Entrepreneur Alliance. Again, a young leader in our very own city that we need to be watching. She is doing amazing, amazing things.